Hello, and welcome back to What the Cup, a podcast. Episode 5 today features a treat for all you rugby fans. We have Blaine Scully on the podcast today. He's a four-time All-American, two-time national champion with Cal Rugby. Go Bears! Played for the USA National Sevens team from 2011 to 2013. Also played for the USA National Rugby Union team from 2011 to 2019, where in 2015 he served as the vice captain for the Rugby World Cup. He then played uh, across the pond in Europe for the Lesher Tigers and eventually the Cardiff Blues, where he stopped playing in 2019 to become a new dad to a 10-week-old. So sit back, relax, grab your favorite quarantini, and enjoy episode five of What the Cup, a podcast. All right, here we are for podcast number five. It's going by fast. Uh, Last time we had Mitch Schwartz on. Mitch was kind of at Cal the same time that this awesome athlete was. This is Blaine. And Blaine, how are you doing? Good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. It's so good to see you. And, uh, you know, both you and your wife were athletes of mine back in the day. And you've gone on to do some amazing things. And we're going to talk all about that. I'm really excited to, um, you know, hear the story and fill in some of the gaps that I'm not totally aware of. And then see where it's going to take you and those types of things. So, yeah, absolutely. Let us, know let us know where you're at right now and what you've been doing the last three, four weeks of your life. Yeah. So, I'm currently in New Jersey. We're 10 weeks into our newborn season, <laughs> um, and uh, which has been amazing and challenging, but every day kind of feels like a, a miracle and a gift in oh, so many what's ways. Your Just Sadie. Sadie. Yeah. Sadie, Steve, and Scully. And, um, yeah, as challenging as this time is, it's it's had a little bit of silver lining in the sense that we haven't missed a moment of totally. of Sadie's first ten weeks. So we've kind of been enjoying that. I announced my uh, retirement from rugby March tenth uh, officially, um, and um, now kind of an athlete in transition, having played rugby either overseas or internationally for the last kind of ten years. So uh, it's been a pretty incredible journey played all over the world, uh, lived a lot of, <laughs> in a lot of different places all over the world as well. And, um, you know, really grateful for the time I had as a, as an athlete for sure. Super cool. Magical experience. I'm sure, man. And yeah, you know, like you're one of those athletes I always thought of that worked four times harder than everyone else around them, you know, and we had some great gifted athletes at Cal and, you know, you really see when hard work pays off and it definitely has in your case. And I'm really excited about, you know, discussing some of those achievements yeah. that you've gone through and things. So yeah. uh, you were with Cal for a while. You went on to do some Team USA stuff and then you went off to the Cardiff Blues. When did that happen? And tell us about that story and what that, you know, experience was like. Yeah, so um, graduated from Cal in 2011, had started playing for the US 17, which is the Olympic format in 2009 so i was able to go a couple times while i was still at university cal then and uh you can hear my baby in the background but um and then graduated 2011 uh after a very memorable year at cal and then went straight to the 15s national team and earned my first cap with with them in in uh, the churchill cup and we beat russia my first match which was pretty memorable and then kind of made the world cup squad as a bolter in new zealand 
and uh, ended up playing all four games there. Uh, had some offers to go overseas at that point. Wasn't quite quite ready to do that, and um, it it was it was one of those things where I wanted to be really specific about the opportunity I pursued. And then and then the Pan American Games ran around, and so participated in that with Team USA, and we won bronze there, which was a pretty amazing experience. Awesome. Um, and that was sevens or that was 15? That was sevens then. Okay. So I went from 15s to sevens. And then yeah. that's actually when we got back together for my adductor rehab, <laughs> yeah. uh, back in 2011. And in 2012, I went back down to Chula Vista and the Olympic training center there to take one of the first USOC back then USOPC now and USA rugby full-time training contracts. Uh, and then two months into that, I ruptured my Achilles and then had my character year as I call it. And that's why building, we're, we like to build. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. why I worked with Christy and coach Phillips every day. Yeah. And then got, got back into a position where I was healthy and competing. And then that summer I had a two week trial with Leicester Tigers in the premiership, which is the Premier league equivalent for, for soccer fans out there and turned two weeks into four weeks and turned into six, seven years overseas. So pretty insane actually. Awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about like physio here compared to physio yep. there. Like you said, Christy Ilg, who's my you know partner in crime. We go and teach some how to put cups on people the scientific way and do a few things a little bit more, I think, systematically approached. Um, but there's so many tools out there for athletes these days. Tell us a little bit about what you experienced overseas from a physio standpoint and some of the tools they use and, you know, did they use cups and like what are the tools they did yeah. and how they manage an athlete differently there maybe than here. That's, yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah, well, I think um, first and foremost, from my mindset is is I always wanted to um, collaborate in the process of making sure my body was in the best possible position to perform. Um, it's a slight frustration of mine, especially with younger athletes who go to physios and I always expect them to fix them without putting yeah. in the work themselves. But as far as helping Huge. the athletes hey. or helping the physios Amen. help you. Brother brother and man. uh <laughs> so taking some ownership over that process was yeah. really important to me so making sure i do all my mobility stuff my prehab stuff my myofascial um work on my own um so then you know i if i can solve 90 percent of my own problems that's ideal and then go to the physio the less time on the bed the better but yeah as you get older you need more time on the, on the bed that's just what what happens but yeah. i mean I, I think um you know by and large um you know, I, I was pretty fortunate in, in respect to the physios I had. And, and I always looked at them like teammates because at the end of the day, they, they keep you on the field. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a tough position for them to be in because they have to manage coaches. They have to manage athletes, protect athletes from themselves, protect all the different things that they need to do and, and still create an environment that feels safe for the athletes and where they feel like they can go perform with the best of their ability. So yeah, you know, I've been really fortunate from 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 medical staff standpoint, physios and doctors. Um, but you know, it, it's it's slightly different, I guess, um, and, and definitely from a humor standpoint between British and Americans. Um, <laughs> yeah, the dry, but, just the overly yeah. complex at times. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, I I, I think again, like I, I maybe my experience is different from from other folks, but you know, I, I think I've had a lot of professional physios who 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 approached it the right way. We're all very system and metric based as far as return to play protocols based on where we're at. We work together really, really well. And the SNC staff, which is equally a really important component in this, yeah. in this um, sort of holistic player welfare approach. And sure. yeah, I, I think where we were, we were at as a, as a, 
you know, in the professional environment, you know, the daily monitoring is a big part of what we do. Um, RPE, how you feeling, where you sore, how'd you sleep? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we, we were, were fortunate to have GPSs, which then informed our, our player load and where we were at and okay, if soft tissue injuries start to pop up, how yeah. we manage those. And technology has really come far with that kind of stuff. Oh man. And, and just the ability to be proactive and, and, and know what you're looking at. Like, okay, well, I, look, I, I hit this amount of, amount of meters, amount of those meters were high, high speed meters, which then maybe I'm a little bit more at risk and then I need to be um, taken off my feet a little bit. And so the, the individual management um, based on metrics and then hopefully uh, getting out in front of potential issues becomes a really important part of that sort of formula, I guess. Totally. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's always a team effort, right? Yeah, and you yeah. nailed it on the head of like you being the most educated, proactive athlete you can be in terms of managing mm-hmm. your body because you're going to know yeah. it better than anyone else that tells you what to do with it. Like, Oh, yeah. go do this thing, go do this exercise. Like you said, S and C for those of you that don't know is strength and conditioning. So like, you know, you have these coaches and then you have position coaches and then you have head coaches and then you have, yeah. you know, sports medicine teams and all of those need to seamlessly yeah. like work together and all be on the same page so that the athlete feels the most ready for what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody really understands how complex that environment is and how many small nuances can make it go very, very much in a positive direction and how little it takes to go in a very negative direction. And I think that's, yeah. that's huge. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. awesome. And then yeah. in terms of like just management strategies, what are some of the tools that you found overseas that they did? Were they more hands-on than here? Were they less hands-on? Was there more options on toys and gadgets and things they would use or less? Or, you know, I think of it as like America has too much complexity for its own good sometimes. Yeah. Like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. such a huge open market and such a large industry that there's so many yeah. things to choose from now. Yeah. Is there less of that over there? Is it, yeah. what does it look like? Yeah, I mean, there's, I think like anything, I mean, new things pop up and you trial them and, uh, and, and, and I think part of see my process too is find what works for you. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I responded always really well to cups. So cups were, were, or something I always sought out. Um, <clears throat> my, my physios at, uh, at uh, Cardiff didn't do as much cupping, but they did, um, needles and okay yeah and so you know that was like an interesting introduction so there was and again it's like that constant like okay does this work does this help the athlete okay that's not good for them but it works for them so it's just that yeah. individualized approach which you know i again and like i said my my sort of individual management strategy is i had the same routine every morning as far as my mobility and my prehab before training always looked the same uh, and then you know I, I knew the difference between hurt and injured and if how I was feeling on any given particular day and whether or not I needed help or not, or whether I could take care of it on a foam roller or, or just kind of my own contrast bath and my own sort of recovery protocols. Um, but you know, definitely like a lot of hands on, um, which, you know, I, I think the complementing whatever tools you use, but like actually just getting into the muscle and then it makes it easier for the athlete to sort of interface with that physio and tell you exactly where yeah. you're feeling certain things and how you're reacting to, to the pressure of the treatment or whatnot. And so, um, I mean, I guess I, like we talked about earlier, it's very, I, at least in my experience and I, that's all I can kind of really speak from is, and it, maybe it's cause I was, um, always maybe to a fault participating in the processes yeah, yeah, is yeah. actively trying to communicate, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. Yeah. This in my experience, this is what helps me. Yeah. Um, and I, I think by and large, it's, 
what I would always encourage young athletes is like, you have to help your physio help you. Yeah. And like, if, if you're not getting what you need out of a certain treatment, don't just let them work on you without yeah, telling yeah. them. It's a waste of their time. It's a waste of their time. Exactly. You're frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's, it's just, just be present and then like, let for them sure. know. It's like hands-on works for me. Okay, That's great. We can so just great. go straight to that. We don't have to worry about all the other stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, and so there's this really interesting dichotomy in the world of sports medicine is we have this kind of push for evidence-based mm-hmm. best practice interventions. Yeah. And some of these things that work for you or the next person or whoever don't fit the model of evidence every time. And some physios are like, yeah. oh, that's crap. I'm not going to use yeah. that because there's yeah. no evidence for that. And then the athlete says, well, this is the best thing that has helped me stay on the field and stay healthy. Yeah. So why would yeah. you not help me yeah. with that? You yeah. know? So yeah. there's that part. And then, like you said, like if someone's doing that evidence-based thing to you that is supposed to make it better, but it's not working for you, why yeah. keep doing that? Yeah. And so they're in this like really complex environment of like, yeah. You have to be an advocate for yourself, but you don't yeah. want to piss off the physio. So there's, yeah. I'm sure, nuances as an athlete to yeah. say, I want to let you know what works for me without offending you because I respect yeah. you. And there's yeah. got to be that mutual respect between the yeah. two, right? Hey, it's just, it's just what you know, like teams require, right? Teams, everyone's different, and and it's 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 the same way you have to communicate to your teammates in, in a respectful yeah. way. Hey, look, like I, I really respect what you're trying to do, but you need to make your tackles, yeah, or or. Or like we, we need you to move the ball in that situation because it was on outside. There was space there. And, 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 and it, I think it just comes down to being honest and, and open. And then, you know, the ability to give and receive feedback because equally, you know, physios need to give feedback to athletes. Well, you, you can't show up 10 minutes like your physio session. Right? Yeah. Like all, all that kind of stuff. And, right. and, and, and that's so just what real. the teams are so built real. on. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting to see. Like you said, I mean, I really appreciate your – your nomenclature of like the physio is part of the team. Like he's mm-hmm. like a teammate and you have to like communicate with that person to make the best environment for both parties. You know, yeah. I think being that advocate of like being honest about things that are not working very well, even though they're supposed to work again, based on evidence, it's supposed to work, but it's not working for me. Mm-hmm. And I think athletes are vocal a lot of times in the wrong ways, but sometimes aren't vocal about the, being an advocate for their own body in that yeah. sense. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got to be an ongoing dialogue. Don't like just wait to be blowing up and frustrated because you just, you haven't communicated properly along the way. Um, Like that's, that's where you just have to like every single time, like, you know, this is, this is how I'm feeling. This is how I'm feeling. And this is what I'm saying. Like that, all that stuff is just really that give take of, of basic communication is so important. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We had this conversation on our last podcast and it was like, one of those things I personally try to treat every single human I ever work on the same way, whether it's the star athlete, the star mm-hmm. quarterback, mm-hmm. or someone with a medical prescription that's actually homeless. And I try to mm-hmm. like make my care always the same, no matter what. And I think athletes that are really, you know, mature and understand the game of it all appreciate mm-hmm. that type of stuff. And yeah, I think for, for those athletes out there listening to this, you know, don't really go in there cocky and big headed. And for those physios out there, when you do work on that star athlete, don't treat them any different than you do yeah. someone yeah. that's, you know, I treat them like a family member and then like yeah. do it the same way, no matter what. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of those things that's like interesting that people, you know, put on different hats for different things. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's take a little tangent off this and okay. talk about something fun. Yeah. Um, you've had cups up and down your body doing myofascial decompression. Yeah. You've had cup therapy done or seen it done on other people. What's the funniest thing you've ever seen it done to, or a, a funny happenstance like, 
something ridiculous that happened or the number of cups that were on someone's body or something that they did that was ridiculous. I'm sure you've seen a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, or the most peculiar place you had it on your body, like something that was crazy. Yeah. I mean, obviously it, it got pretty intimate when you and I were doing some groin stuff. Yeah. Um, true. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like always, it's just always surreal when you, when you first interact with, you know, cupping and then, you know, I go home to Sacramento and visit my folks and my mom looks at me and she's freaking out. She's like, what is, what happened? Like, what, what's, what's going on? Like, we need to talk with your back. Like, what's going on with your back? Whoever you're dating, she doesn't, she needs to treat you better. I was like, I was like oh, what are you talking about? Because you're just, once you get to that point you yeah. just, you kind of, you're, you're in this bubble and you forget how different some of the things you do on a regular basis just aren't normal outside yeah. of the world. So nobody would know that, oh, of course, he was he cupping and it's a way of releasing all the tissue. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. No, it's yeah. all those things on my back. I didn't get beat up by an octopus. It's just, it's just some cups that yeah, helped that me. was, you know, 2009, 2010, <laughs> 2011. So. Yeah. It was before the Michael Phelps effect happened. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, nobody yeah. really saw that very much. And we pioneered it at Cal with the movement science mm -hmm. combined. And yeah, it was definitely a different environment for somebody yeah. like seeing someone on a beach walking yeah. down and seeing a bunch of those things on them was like, yeah. whoa, yeah. you yeah. got disease, stay away from me. Or yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're getting beat at home. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah, that's definitely a different, a different time period and things. It was. Yeah. Um, so you talked about, you know, adductor growing, you know, What's some other like injury stuff that you found some of the cups be really helpful for, for yourself or the teammates? Like what areas? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, hamstrings, um, for me, like back and, and upper back and cause both my ACs are grade four separated. So like always have kind of shoulder issues and upper back cause everything just gets so tight just based on everything compensating up there. Um, yeah. And, and for me, like my, my um we had to do a lot of work on my calf so like a lot of grasping complemented with the cups and some movement stuff with the cups as well with christy um and and like even it bands because like naturally i'm just like a really tight stiff athlete so like releasing quads and itbs and just kind of getting um giving my patellas a break because <laughs> yeah. all that stuff would just jam up my patellas and and uh, be a challenge there but you know like for me, the, the cups were just a really good tool um, to help just kind of just break up some of that, break up some of that gunk and then yeah. just keep on top of everything. Because rugby is, as a season, from a seasonality standpoint, is nuts. Like the demands of, of being a professional and international and bouncing between club and country. Oh, yeah. Like it's crazy. Got to be crazy. You, know, you got season kicks off for, for club in, in September you play through till November, which is internationals. You go back to the club, you play through till February. You have a couple more internationals. You play through May at club, and then you're back to internationals in June. July, you get like three weeks of, pre, uh, of off season. Uh, August, you're back in preseason. September, you're kicking off again. It's just, <laughs> just crazy. Yeah, so like this, this nonstop management and, and finding ways to stay on the field, it just, it just is a challenge, and you got to do what you can. For sure. I love the word gunk. Like every podcast I do so far, I like the way an athlete describes what's happening to them and the stuff that's yeah. inside their body that yeah. needs to change, right? Yeah. 
one person said, you helped me get the drama out. This was this triathlete. And, you know, she's like, drama. I had drama and you had to get my drama out. And like, yeah. you know, that's the way she thought of it. That's the way she described yeah. it. Um, another swimming athlete said, you know, the stickiness, you, yeah. you helped me with my sticky spots and yeah. now yours is the gunk. So we're going to yeah. go with gunk for the rest of this, uh, podcast and everything Love it. Things like that. But yeah, it's interesting to hear like your interpretation of what's going on in your body. Mm-hmm. Right. And then how that tool will help you the most, because it's not just helping the physical tissues. It's helping calm down your nervous system. And we talk yeah. a lot about that in our courses. And I, I think yeah. some athletes appreciate that, but it's not just like physically, going and doing that thing like if you go foam roll you don't just roll out the muscle you're letting it relax those tissues so that your nervous system can take a step back and relax that as well so that things can get back on track in terms of that flow of you know yeah electricity and information going through the nerves as well as like the way it's interpreted up in that complex central nervous system so you've had some great times you've done some good stuff what's next i know you had a little bit of like introduction into the broadcasting world of things Mm -hmm. Um, tell us what happened with that coming off yeah. some of the World Cup stuff and yeah. what it all looked like. Yeah, so I got a call basically uh, the day after we got knocked out of the tournament um, and uh, NBC asked if I'd be willing to come in and, and, and help with the broadcast uh, from an analyst point of view for the rest of the World Cup. And, and it thought it would be a really interesting experience. I mean, TV in general seems like such a passive thing for most of us on a normal basis. You know, oh, that looks pretty easy. But then you get yeah. in there, you get the makeup, and you get the earpiece, <laughs> and you realize how much goes into this. And it is a totally different world. And, and so that learning experience was really, really valuable, and, and I enjoyed it. And um, so I've kind of consistently done that uh, since all the rugby as well as every other sport was postponed. And in mid-March and um, uh, also did a little bit of podcasting. So kind of exploring that space too. Um, And then uh, just kind of taking an opportunity to touch and feel a bunch of different things, have as many conversations as I can. I recently completed a crossover in the business program, which is run through Harvard Business School, which is for a bunch of professional athletes. And they somehow let a rugby player on there. Um, (laughs) And then, um, actually talking to a lot of sport technology companies and startups and just kind of learning from them and seeing if there's some advisory type roles with, within their structures. And again, for me, every conversation opportunity to learn, and that's kind yeah. of where I'm at. I'm back to being a rookie again in so many ways, which yeah. is, is, uh, overwhelming, but more, uh, often than not, it's really, uh, kind of fun. So, cool. yeah. um, tell us, you know, in your mind, say this all goes away, shelter in place in, in a month or two, and we get back to season starting in September. Remind us, like, what does rugby look like in the United States? How has it grown? Where is it going? Yeah. And then, you know, for our listeners that aren't aware of some of the differences in rugby, the sevens versus fifteens real quick. Just yeah. kind of take us through what that looks like. Yeah, so sevens is the Olympic format. Fifteens is the traditional format, and basically the two differences is the amount of people on the field. So sevens has seven people on the field. They play seven minute halves, usually playing a tournament format over the course of a weekend. And then fifteens is the more traditional uh, game with fifteen per side, eighty minute contests, and that's um, the Rugby World Cup is one of the biggest sporting events in, in the world. Right. Um, and uh, within the states, um, it's it's. Had, had been one of the fastest growing sports in the country. It's tailed off the last year or two. Um, there's a new professional league called Major League Rugby, which is in its 
um, it, it first couple of years, um, they unfortunately had to cancel their, their season this, this year. Um, but hopefully they'll continue to be around. Um, and then it's, it's just for us continue to sort of establish the nuts and bolts of the sport, um, growing the pathway. So from a youth level, uh, level all the way up to collegiate level, robust high school competitions. And again, it tends to be very segmented geographically. Um, there tends yeah. to be more hotbeds and, and other places like Northern California would be one such hotbed. Yeah. Um, a few in the, in the Midwest and then uh, quite a few in the mid Atlantic region as well. Um, and, uh, uh, it looks different just kind of where you are, but it, it has, um, a lot of, I think, opportunity in the States. I think it offers something pretty unique, um, from, from, a from a sporting options. Uh, and, and specifically I look at the women's game as a massive opportunity, um, and, and hope to see that that grow year in and year out. And, and, um, cause I have so much, um, uh, so much hope for, for this sport, but specifically for the women's game to, to continue to, to push it forward. So exciting, uh, all around, but the MLR is a big piece of that, um, as is every single component along the way, uh, creating and building opportunities for young athletes to hopefully then, uh, provide talent for the national team for us to perform on the world stage, Absolutely. whether that's the Olympics or world cups. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like Major League Soccer has grown immensely in the last 10 years. And it was like, you know, 10 years ago, Major League Soccer was not as well funded. We've changed yeah. some of the formats, I think. I'm a huge soccer fan. And so that's what I'm more familiar with. But like, you know, what do you think it's going to take to get a catalyst moving forward in the next five years for Major League Rugby? Is it salaries? I know salaries even in, at the soccer yeah. level is pretty poor to start with. And you know, you have to really work your way up into a bigger role to be able to get paid. And, you know, some of these soccer players have other jobs because they can't afford to necessarily, yeah. you know, survive on just the soccer salary and things. How's that look in the rugby world in the next three to five years? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a question we need to be asking ourselves. Um, I think from a national perspective, it's about building the ecosystem. So it's about building the infrastructure that supports the top end of the game. And, and for, for us in America, I think the connection of rugby in the interscholastic sports model is, is imperative. Like, yeah. so rugby has to be integrated into schools and opportunities have to be created for young athletes because those young athletes tend to be fans who then drive the sport forward, moving on, whether yeah. they're a player, coach, referee, whatever, they're involved with the game and that in turn will build, um, hopefully the talent pool and then offering incentives. And, and I mean, cause we talked about the salaries of the MLS or NFL and major league baseball, which is definitely part of the sort of aspiration, but it's also receiving a scholarship to go to college. And that's, yeah, that's sure. part of that incentive that, yeah. that those sports have. And so for rugby to continue to push um, for, for the best American athletes, it needs to offer more opportunities at the collegiate level, which you know, Cal is obviously a great example of, of how that can look and how that, it should work in, in so many ways. And, and, and women's game is an NCAA emerging sport. Getting NCAA status immediately moves a needle uh, from, uh, from that perspective. And, you know, cause you look at the women's national soccer team and, 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 and some of the other sports, how important it, like, especially Olympic sports, how important the collegiate model is to providing talent to those levels. So, you know, I think yeah. if the PAC 12 was a country, it would have like, you know, the third most medals in the Olympics, a couple of Olympics. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah. just nuts how many Crazy. 
how many Olympians come out and how much talent is produced from the collegiate model. But you know, that, that model could change as a result of what's going on now. I yeah. hope not, but so insane. Uh, There's yeah, it's uncertainty crazy. of it all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, we had a couple, you know, fans talk about things. One of them was Rob, um, Paler. Yep. And he said that you're a coffee addict. So let's talk about your coffee addiction <laughs> and basically what you're doing to, you know, I have stay, a problem. stay yeah, sane problem. as you navigate a newborn in the house, you know, in this shelter in place time. So that was, that was yeah. Rob's feedback back to Love you. Love that. And, and also tell, tell us about Rob's story when you, when you describe your coffee addiction afterwards. Yeah. No, so <laughs> we used to have this, we had this, we had this test. It's called the Bronco, which was like a shuttle test. Yeah. yeah. It's like 20 back, 40 back, 60 back uh, meters and five times. And that's basically what I feel like I'm doing between the coffee pot and the diaper table <laughs> like every day. Um, so I, I, I own the fact that I have a problem. Everyone tells me I have a problem, but anything <laughs> worth doing is worth overdoing. I'm just, I'm totally, I'm totally owning that. Uh, and Rob's incredible. Rob is, is, uh, um, an amazing young man. He, he, um, you know, obviously had a, a pretty, uh, pretty tragic event in, in a catastrophic injury. Uh, but he's really turned that tragedy into a triumph in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and he's used it to not only give himself purpose, but so many around him inspiration. And, and, um, I am such a Robert Paler fan and advocate. We're both from Sacramento. We both went to Jesuit, both went to Cal and, and feel connected to him on so many ways. And, and, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd say to anyone who asks, he's the best of us. <laughs> and um, he's just an incredible guy who, who continues to inspire with every everything he does. And, and um, I had an exchange with him the other day and and uh, just what he's still doing while balancing school, rehabbing at home during this, nothing has stopped him. And and he's just, he's just so powerful to, to, to be around him and, and, and talk with him. And he's just, he's just an awesome, awesome man. Uh, yeah. I mean, for those of you that know, don't know, he had a cervical spine injury, I think three years ago. Yeah. Uh, three, and, three years ago yesterday. Yeah. And so developed a quadriplegia and basically has been working so hard on his rehabilitation and was able to walk on the cow field in front of fans, you know, packed house and basically yeah, it's like, it was one of those moments where I think you know so many people told me that people were crying next to them yeah. and people's hairs on their arms were standing up and yeah. you know just one of these great stories of someone battling back from such a devastating injury like you said on the field yeah and showing you that anything's possible and like you yeah. know I think some and, of the, and the support that, of the Cal family through that you know coach 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 Billups who's been working with them every day and coach Clark you know who's who's always um you know, advocated for all of us and he's been all our biggest champion in so many ways and, and, and for Robert as well. And, and, uh, it just kind of always reinforces the fact of how special Cal is at so many levels. Um, and, uh, yeah, but, but Rob puts in work day in and day out, no matter, uh, I think coach Billups, he, I uh, sent out a social post the other day and I read, retweeted and reshared all his stuff he's like whether it's in front of fifty thousand or one person he continues to move forward and he's pretty incredible yeah it's an amazing story if you guys haven't looked it up you know check out that um the story for cal rugby cal rugby is a special place though and, and like you yeah. talked about i think this whole discussion so far the entire environment i think of rugby is a special place there's this special I don't know what it is. There's a, a classiness to it. There's a, 
a dedicated workload that everybody assumes. And I've never met a, an athlete from a rugby team that hasn't been more humble than most of the other athletes I've worked with. And so there's something about the culture there. I don't know what it is. I don't know if you could touch on what that is, but there is something special about the rugby world and that type of environment. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a unique sport for sure. And, 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 uh, you know, and Cal would be a unique place, even I think within, within rugby in the sense of, of, you know, what, what's been built there over the course of 130 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, which is all the sport on Cal's campus. Um, you know, that they've only, we've only had five or six head coaches in that at time. And coach Clark is, is been there for, for near 40 years now. And, um, just, uh, an incredible place. It's, it's, uh, sport as study and a sport as a education vehicle for, you know, how you can be a good teammate and live a good life. And, um, that, that has always, um, translated for me uh from learning how to sort of prioritize what is actually a priority from a values perspective on the field and yeah. you know thinking about yourself uh in the context of the team and um you know, how to be a person of positive difference is is kind of integral to going through that experience for sure yeah, I mean, it's a special place at Cal, but I've worked with Team USA, women's rugby as well, and they still have that same culture. I mean, there's yeah. something about that world. And, you know, uh, you've been coined the Captain America many times, right? Yeah. Um, like, do you embrace that? Do you, what do you, what do you think when people say those things? I've heard it so many times. Like, yeah, yeah, no. Captain America, you're, you know, yeah. Captain of Team USA. Um, what, what type of feelings does that evoke? when you hear some of these things and some of the things that you try to do from a leadership standpoint? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I guess it kind of comes default now, uh, with, with, um, whoever is bestowed the responsibility of say captaining the team and which I had for the last few years. And, um, for me, it's always been a service based position. So that it's not, yeah, I, I don't look the captaincy like it's, uh, a look at me type thing, um, or a position of privilege, which, um, you know, for some, you know, that, that might be how they look at it. I, I don't, you know, I, I, but I can speak from my experiences that, you know, I fundamentally believe it's a service-based position that you're, that you have a responsibility to the team and to the Jersey and to basically the position that you've been, you've been given. And, um, and so I, I guess when I, when I hear the captain America thing, I, you know, I kind of just, brush it off and then it's just it's just a term that's now been used and and yeah. uh part maybe it's because i have a my my hair is parted now too and that whole thing it's just like it's just <laughs> but but it, it's 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 for me it's it's been the greatest honor of my life for sure to captain my country uh on the world stage you know at a world cup and um it's been it's been one of the hardest things i've done as well um you know because you have so many different components to to the job, uh, you know, technically and tactically, culturally, socially, and then your external responsibilities as well from a media standpoint, speaking with the voices, the team the team's voice and how you manage all the different elements. And Oh, by the way, you have to perform because if you don't perform, yeah. it doesn't matter what title you're given. You, you, you won't earn respect. And as an athlete, um, and, and as a leader, you have to make your own tackles before you tell anybody anything. 
And so that's where it always started for me. It's I had my own individual responsibility. I need to make sure I do that. And then I had the responsibility of the team to make sure we were all working towards the same thing. Yeah. It sounds like a big responsibility, which is both a blessing and a curse at times with the workload. Maybe that's why you need all that coffee all the time, you know? <laughs> it's a I'm lot of you. a lot of load. <laughs> yeah, well, Blue Bottle had this sale, so like Shannon got me a bunch of Blue Bottle, and so like I'm, but I, I'm trying to. That's like my dessert coffee. It's just like that's yeah. when you know you have a problem. It's like you have a you have an everyday coffee, like that you, and then your your one dessert cup. That's like a treat. <laughs> that's an issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're either 80 years old at the dinner table finishing <laughs> off your meal, or you're yeah. you've got a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Exactly. All right, let's finish off with something fun. Yeah. Um, what's your go-to like training snack? When you were an athlete competing yeah. at the highest level, what's your favorite like quick snack that you would like want to use as your fuel most often? Something fun, something easy to make that people can like. Always a smoothie. Always a smoothie that I would have. Yeah, that was my big thing. Um, smoothies every morning or yogurt canola bowl or like smoked salmon on some uh, uh, like toast with some cream cheese on it. Those, those were like my quick go-tos like in the morning where it's six o'clock and you just need to get something in you. Um, and uh, and then I got like, guys, I don't know as I, I guess matured and got older and um, I ended up doing like the coconut and the coffee thing. And then like trying to manage all the different <laughs> diet things that you have to do as well in order to optimize your performance, but yeah. the smoothies, yogurt, granola bowl um, and smoked salmon. And, uh, but now like I'm an oatmeal guy, it's oatmeal is, <laughs> is where I'm at. Oatmeal is, yeah. is kind of, it's kind of me now. How did you eat living overseas? back when you're there compared to yeah to, what was the difference in cuisine mexican food no mexican food <laughs> i would kill for a burrito when i was over there like, what city did you live in there again uh lester and then cardiff okay. so I, I was like and this was like a really tough thing to talk to my mom about because i would tell her hey mom i i I would love to see you, but I don't know if I miss you or Mexican food. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I always miss my mom more. But yeah, 50% joke is is actually true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But yeah, I was just I would just kill for some chips and salsa uh, and and a burrito and um, and some guacamole. Uh, but we we ate pretty well. I mean, the the benefit of being there was we got to travel and do some amazing things. So Shan and I would go to. Fortunately, we were able to go to Paris and Barcelona and all these really amazing places and have all these amazing food and experiences. And, and uh, so we were really fortunate and uh, we learned to love Indian food as well. Cool. And yeah, yeah, yeah. just getting outside of our comfort zone, which, you know, for us, the experience of living overseas, nothing, you know, bonds you quicker um, than totally being reliant on each other. And because yeah. and we were probably sure. the only Americans in the, in the dang city. Um <laughs> And, uh, you know, we, we just, we loved that experience and we so enjoyed it. And, and, you know, we were at Cardiff, we got to walk down the street to the grocery store and pick up fresh produce and all that kind of stuff, which, and we, she, she would cook more often than I did. Um, and, but now I'm kind of taking on that role as far as, you know, she's balancing work and feedings and I just got to look for work, although I'm, I'm not, not, not nearly the chef I hope to be, I, I'm getting better at that, but so now I'm, I'm leaning into some carnitas stuff and I'm getting better go. at that. Yeah. Sweet. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's so good to talk to you. Any, yeah, um, great to catch up. any parting words you'd say for a, you know, a young athlete working their way up or for the physios listening. A lot of my people yeah. that are listening yeah. to physios, 
when they work with that pro athlete for that first time, any parting words you would kind of throw on pieces of advice for? Yeah, no, I think for any young athlete, it's just don't be a participant in your own development and make sure you always own everything that you do. So engage in the process, whether you're getting coached up in the weight room or on the training field or in the meeting room and or working with your physios in, 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 the, uh, in the medical room. Um, that, that just engaging that process and being a good teammate on all that stuff you know, ends up paying so many dividends because there's nothing better from uh, a coach's perspective or a physio's perspective or uh, S&C staff's perspective is that someone who wants to learn and wants to get better. I mean, that, that engagement is, yeah. is, 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 at least I found in my experience, like one of the best parts because uh, then you also develop relationships and relationships yeah. are, that's, are that's what really thing. make the whole thing valuable. And, yeah, and so that's, that's a way I looked at it as, as engaging my process, build relationships. And, you know, I think that extends to the physios as well is, is the ability to, to build genuine relationships with, with your athletes and, and uh, you know, which I've been fortunate to have. Um, and, and I think that, that sort of idea lends itself to being a good teammate. And that's just how good organizations are built. For sure. Such wise words, man. It's, it's all about human connection at the end of the yep. day. Yep. That's what we're all doing with it. For That's sure. the whole point of the sport and the, you know, sports medicine interface yeah. with that. So it's, yeah. it's so good to talk to you, man. I'm Great. so glad yeah. that you are enjoying new, newfound fatherhood. And yeah. You know, having a great I'm time. Enjoying to being the lowest person on the totem pole. Yeah, like, <laughs> everything used to be about me and my rugby and all that <laughs> crap, and 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 which yeah. you know is is fine. Sure. But I'm actually enjoying yeah. the yeah. backseat now. For sure, great time yeah. for it. You know, I'm so glad you guys have some time and space to be able to enjoy yeah, each appreciate other. Appreciate it. Yeah, brother, it's so good to talk to you. Take care. Great catch up. Thanks. Yeah. yeah.